0: hey everybody um, real me and listeners welcome back to another installment of for your isolation this is our series ongoing series uh, meant to keep you occupied during this period of time where we're all stuck in our home whether, it's self-imposed isolation, actual quarantine, actual lockdown, whatever your situation is. want to be able to you know, keep you occupied both with stuff to listen to here and also giving you viewing options, um, whether they're on streaming or rental, stuff for you to look up. Um, it's been a lot of fun doing this. I've been having a series of people on, and I am not alone today. I'm joined uh, today by Coles Davis, who is a co-host of Feeling Film Podcast. Uh Calest, great to have you on today. I'm happy to be on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So uh tell people uh like what what you do on the podcast.
1: Um mostly what I do is I'll come in and I'll do guest spots from time to time where we'll talk about either a new film or an um old film. That, we'll, that we're doing a podcast for for that month. And then I do writing for the website, Feeling the Feel website itself. So if you go on there, you can check out some reviews of films I've done from last year and this year before everything went to
0: total chaos. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, it's a it's a great podcast. It's a lot of fun to listen to. I definitely urge everybody to check that out. Um, and we are here talking about the best films of 2006. Uh, this was The Year of the Departed, the Academy Uh, Martin Scorsese's Crime Epic starring Leonardo DiCaprio Matt Damon and and Jack Nicholson took home a lot of awards I think four overall including best picture best director and best adapted screenplay Uh, whether or not it shows up on our list we're about to find out Um, I'm I'm excited to get into it so uh, it's the same thing it's going to be alternating choices so Coles you're going to start us off What is your number 10 best film of 2006? My number 10
1: would be The Breakup. Um, It was a romantic comedy starring Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. And um, I came across it because funny in college, in my sophomore year, I was taking a class called Family Studies and they had played um, us this film. And at the time, I wasn't really big into romantic comedies. Um, romantic films had just never really been my genre. I mean, I love things like Titanic, but it's really hard for me to get into a romance film because they feel so cheesy and convoluted. But this one was different. Um, I love the humor in it. Um, Anderson and Vaughn both play off each other very well, even though they're playing a couple who's tearing apart away from each other. They play off each other very well in the scenes they are together. A lot, a lot of funny moments in that film. And, you know, it was a very pleasant watch. It's something that... Is I don't consider it really great, but it's something that I can rewatch over and over again and not really get bored or tired of it. If I had to, you know, it's like a guilty—I would say a guilty pleasure. If I want to say, you know, so mm-hmm. it's it's a great film, great romantic comedy,
0: definitely. Yeah, I guess that my choice—I haven't—I haven't seen this movie. I, I will say that this is a this is a blind spot of mine. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. I think that when it came out, might have been out of town, otherwise I would have seen it, and I just never got around to it. Whenever I got back in town. Um, and I just, it's just slipped my, you know, uh, slipped out of my grasp over the years. Uh, I do have an interest in it though. I've I've heard really good things about this one over the years and, uh, my choice, I guess, you know, I don't like the phrase guilty pleasure, but I guess it would be that, (laughs) um, it's actually, it's really big blockbuster. Uh, it's probably not the one that people are anticipating being on my list. Uh, but I did like a lot of blockbusters that summer. Uh, My favorite, though, is a sequel, Um, and it was the first sequel. It was the first sequel, not a not a not a threequel, although there were a couple of those that summer. (laughs) Uh, But no, my number ten is Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest, Uh, which is Gore Verbinski's follow up to his two thousand three film, The Curse of the Black Pearl. You know, catches up with Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow as he and Orlando Bloom's Will and Keira Knightley's uh, I just lost your name, and my, and my Elizabeth. There we go. Uh, are going after the? Um, there are are racing to recover the heart of Davy Jones, played by Bill Nighy. Great villain, tragic figure. This thing is big and ballsy. I love Gore Verbinski's uh, superhero, not superhero summer blockbuster work a lot. I do wish he would have a superhero movie. That's what that's maybe what I was thinking of just now. Uh, but I love all three of his. Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I also love the Lone Ranger. I'm in the minority on that one, and uh, this one is it. Just falls in in that line. I think that there are few filmmakers working right now that can uh, really kind of take hold of a of a blockbuster in a in a truly um, like personality driven way. Uh, mm-hmm. There are few like Verbinski who can do that, and I think that. This one is my favorite of the series. It's, um, it's not the only one that will make it on a top ten of its particular year, but it is my favorite of the series. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just I love it. I know that there are people who felt like this is really where this first sequel was really well, where it started to fall apart for them. Um, for me, it definitely started to fall apart with On Stranger Tides because it wasn't mm-hmm. Verbinski in charge of it. I feel like that was very obvious, <laughs> and uh <laughs> this it's just yeah it's excellent love love this director and love some of the other stuff he's done too I'm gonna be talking about the the weatherman less, uh, next week um, and um I also love Rango fantastic movie so yeah big big fan of this director and uh hope that hope that everybody gets a chance to. To uh, to check the series out if they've if they're like among the three or four people who haven't seen it yet. Uh, so that is my number ten. Is that one going to be showing up on your list at all? Um, it was a it was an
1: honorable mention. Okay, it was. Okay. Um, I had went to go see it when it came out in theater, and I remember being a really really big fan of the Curse of the Black Pearl. It's that's still one of my all time favorite Disney films. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was one of those people who was in line for the sequel. Me and my brother went to it, and it was great. For some reason, though, I have not seen it again after that. Mm-hmm. And I love, and I like the film. I really
0: liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one that I've that I've seen a couple times. Uh, it's weird. I had a weird relationship with this movie. I think that when I saw it originally, I wasn't I wasn't in the right mood for it to hit me, and so I I was kind of bored by the by the third act. But that was when it came out, and then I think I waited like I don't know, almost five or six years to watch it again, having no memory of it. And so whenever I saw it again it was like watching a new movie it it it, wow. it was it was just yeah i mean it's the same thing with the third one i had not seen them since the theater and i didn't really have much of a memory for like how i felt so i i mm-hmm. went back where whereas i'd seen the first one a lot of times and yeah this one really hit well for me um the second time so yeah that's my number 10 uh, all right so what is your number nine
1: my number nine is a film that i think is really good it features a great will smith performance um but i have some problems with that i'm going to talk about in a little bit but my number nine is the pursuit of happiness okay um you know it's a film about will smith he supposedly is playing um a real life figure his name is chris gardner and um I guess he's he's trying, he's a salesman, but he's trying to get, like, really put on at this big firm and everything. Like, his goal is to try to work at this firm so he can have enough money to take care of his child. And, you know, the child is played by Jaden Smith, Will Smith's real-life sons. And this is, like, Jaden's first appearance in the film. Mm-hmm. So, kind of a marker for that. But this film really shines for me just based on Will Smith. Like... I don't really care too much for these stories. These Rad to riches stories because I see them a lot. And, you know, it's kind of like the whole, hey, I'm pull yourself up by your bootstraps" mentality, which I'm not a big fan of. But Will Smith carries it because, I mean, just every film, you can feel the hunger and the struggle that he's going through. Um, there's a couple of scenes in there that are just goosebumps inducing. I, I mean, seeing an actor perform, mm. like the one where he's talking about, hey, if you have a dream, don't let nobody take it. Like th- those that's one of my life models right there and then another one the the scene, scene, the scene
0: by the fence, right? Uh yes, or, yeah, that, scene. that scene. Okay.
1: Yeah, and then the other scene is one where him and his son they have to sleep in a bathroom cuz they got mm-hmm. nowhere to sleep and it's like the morning wakes up and they're at the subway station and will he he he's playing the father, he decides to somebody's trying to get into the bathroom. His son is sleeping in there, so he blocks the door, and it's like an image of him just holding his son, trying to hold back tears as much as he can while holding the bathroom door a lot. Like, moments like that are just genius acting, genius acting, and I think he got an Oscar nod for that. Didn't win, but he did get an Oscar nomination, and it's a very redemptive story. It's very, very, um, just, you want it's a very cheery film. Like, you play it for somebody, and, you know, they're going to feel on cloud nine, and feel like they can do anything at the end, but my only problem with is that the real life story of Chris Gardner is a little bit more. Um, let's just say the film kind of put some magic and just like create a lot of situations that makes Chris Gardner look like the greatest mm. human being ever when he wasn't. Um, he was accused of a lot of crimes. Um, he was a domestic abuser. Like he's, if you read his, if you go and look at the facts of his real life story, he's not that dude that you want to cheer for, but wow. the film version, I would say I'll just separate the real Chris Gardner from the film version. I still really like
0: the film version, but there's just a little bit of taintness there for me. Yeah, this is one that I have not seen since it came out. Uh, So it's been a long time, obviously, you know, 13, 14 years now. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember really liking Will Smith in it, and I think that for me it's the same sort of a similar situation with you where I was hit more by him and Jaden makes a really good, you know, Kind of child performance gives a really good child performance too. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would need to see it again to have any sort of other, uh, th- but it's funny because I remember <laughs> the exact scenes that you're talking about. I think I also remember something involving a Rubik's cube uh, that was, that was yes. really cool. Uh, and of course, you know, like what you're saying with Gardner's real life, who knows if that's accurate, but, um, but still, I, you know, I remember like specific sequences and all of that, I don't remember the movie so well. I would need to see that one again. So obviously, mm-hmm. obviously not a contender for my list, but I, I did I did like it when it came out. I do remember liking it quite a bit. My number nine couldn't be further from The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the whole title because the longer it is, the funnier it is. Um, the funnier it gets, I should say. And that is Borat, Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Uh, <laughs> i love <it. laughs> i love this freaking movie uh this is of course i don't know if it's a story so much as it's a like fake documentary um just kind of uh following a talking head uh kazakh's a, a kazakh tv reporter named borat Sagiev, played by sasha grant cohen who basically comes to the united states uh under the end other under the uh, the idea that it's the greatest nation in the world, uh, certainly a lot better, better than his home country. And he decides to bring a documentary crew in order to locate and marry Pamela Anderson, um, which is <laughs> something that, that people forget that that's actually the, the, po- the plot of this movie. Um, and she's a great sport. She, she appears as herself in here. Um, and apparently uh cackled like a maniac when larry charles and sasha baron cohen went to her about the idea and was a total like i said a good sport that you know could have gone horribly (laughs) i mean she could have been a whole diva about it but anyway uh whatever the case this movie is basically just one gigantic exercise in showing audiences just how awful like suburban middle america is Uh, At any given moment, uh, and Southern America and all of it, through the prism of this guy who goes through and uses a lot of really, really awful prejudices to coax those same prejudices (laughs) out of other people. And Mm -hmm. it is uncomfortable. It is uh, disheartening. It is really, really, really. I I just want to go back to the word uncomfortable. Uh, (laughs) But it is also extremely funny. Because of how unassuming the character of Borat is. Uh, and, and the way that Baron Cohen plays him as just this guy who has the biggest heart. Totally, his heart is totally in the wrong place. Every single, you know, like, thing that he does here is awful. He, he throws a bag over Pamela Anderson's head. <laughs> when he finally gets to her I mean, that's that's the kind of movie this is it breaks all barriers you know baron cohen was famous for this uh i think he needs to do another one of these instead of doing like the dictator and the brothers grimsby yes. i i love this movie i really like bruno a lot of people don't but uh you know didn't make my top 10 whenever i did that but very good movie and uh I think that he needs to do another one of these to try to figure out. I don't know that he has that series that he did. Um, Who is America? Um, I think that's what it was called. That was a great. Yeah, series. I need to watch. I need to watch that. I, I've, <laughs> I've seen. I've seen the OJ episode, and that's about it. But the or the the, the scene, I should say, the OJ scene. But uh, yes, <laughs> which is which is incredible to hear him talking about how they did that. But uh, but yeah, just. I just I love it I, I, I couldn't I've seen it a couple times and I mean it's hard to get through in terms of without cringing like you cringe every maybe 30 45 seconds but at the same mm-hmm. time you're laughing just about every 30 to 45 seconds and that's that's a pretty big laugh ratio for you know 85 solid minutes or whatever and I I love it um, yeah so are you are you a fan of this one is this gonna show up on your list anywhere later
1: yeah, it's gonna okay. show up way okay. higher okay. on my list. All right, way I totally higher.
0: get it. And by the way, this could easily be higher. It's just two thousand six was a great year. So, you know, I, I could have mm-hmm. any of my like ten through six in my top five. It just happens that <laughs> they fall into the into the bottom uh the bottom half. But yeah, uh all right. Well, we are up to your number eight.
1: So my number eight is gonna be a little bit of a somber one. It's um United ninety three. Mm. Um it was a Film made by Paul Greengrass about the events retold about the um, United ninety three flight that crashed into a Shanksville, Pennsylvania field on the um, morning of September eleven, two thousand and one. Um, very very sad film. I still I st- I've only seen it once and I have not been able to go back to it because it's just. Greengrass, as a director, I mean, from his Bourne films to even Captain Phillips, um, he has a way of putting you right in the middle of intense situations and not letting you go. Like, when when an intent, when an something intense happens in his films, you're like right in there. You can feel every bit of it. You can feel the fear. You can feel that you can just feel just the the mounting tension in that in those moments. And this whole film was just like that because. In a way, as a viewer, you already know what's going to happen. Everybody knows. I mean, nine eleven. You just say the word nine eleven, people already know what you're talking about. So people are aware of what's what's going to happen to these people, but it's just feeling that fear that they're in, like being trapped on a plane thirty thousand feet in the air, and knowing that your life is about to end, and all you can really think about is, well, we either give up right here, or do we fight and save a lot of other other people who are at threat for being for being hit by a plane and you know the part that always gets me is you know I guess I would say the ending more when they do when the people of the plane finally do storm the cockpit and you know that the plane is going down there is a bit of heroism you feel a little bit heroic at the end you Mm. feel like wow these people really sacrificed themselves you know in order to do what was right and you know they got stuck in a bad situation but they still were able to figure out a way to try and save many other people. And it just really hits me just how sad and how tragic 9-11 was, not for the people who were killed, them, but also the people who lost family members and victims, you know, in all the events that encompassed that. So yeah, it's a very, very sad film, very tragic. It's one of those films that I only need to see <laughs> one time and I'm not going to go back to yeah. it again, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a great film. Great film for anybody who does want to have a definitive kind of like version of what happened mm. on 9-11.
0: Okay, so I'm going to flash people back to a Siskel and Ebert episode. Um, Their best films, I think, of 1985, I think it was five, when Siskel had the documentary show up at the number one spot on his list. And then it panned back over to Ebert, who said, here's how I would put this. It's the most significant film achievement of the year But it also feels a little wrong for me to put it against the other movies on a list. That's how I feel about United 93. Certainly, like, if I were Mm -hmm. to include it, it would probably be number one. uh, Because I think that it is a, I mean, as a piece of filmmaking, it's incredibly tense. It's really well put together editorially and all of that. For me, it it just feels a little weird for me to put it on a list. I wouldn't begrudge anybody else to do it. But yeah, for me, for me, yeah. it's like I just I, I basically have it as a special mention. Um, it, it, that would be that mm-hmm. would be a special mention on the list. So, totally get it. Uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, everything you say about it. Um, the performances are great. I mean, the the um, the guy the guy. There, there's some people who are in the air traffic controller um, station playing themselves, including I think the uh, the main technician Ben Ben Saline. I can't remember what his uh, position is, but he's playing himself. He's fantastic at doing that. It's more than just him playing himself. It's a performance. I remember being struck by that. Um, A guy with no acting, Mm -hmm. you know, history at all. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great bit of, um, yeah, I mean, it's a a super uncomfortable viewing experience, Uh, but you're right. I mean, you have that sense of, of heroism at the end, and then the realize, the realization once it ends, you're like, oh my gosh, this really happened, and those people are not are not alive, and it's just like a like a mm-hmm. like a you get kicked with reality once you, once you have finished the experience. Yeah, it's it's something else. It's something else for sure. All right, so my number eight, uh, once again, couldn't be couldn't be further from that. Uh, I don't think I don't think anything could be close to that. Not even World Trade Center is close to that uh, from 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different. movie but uh, my number eight is my favorite film from this particular director Um, and it's probably not the movie that people are anticipating being somebody's favorite of this director uh, just because he also directed a superhero trilogy and a bunch of really really like heady sci-fi stuff uh, this past decade but my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is The Prestige and that is my number eight of 2006 Uh, This is about rival stage magicians played by Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman who engage in this kind of career-long battle to create the ultimate illusion and also basically sacrifice everything that they have in order to outwit each other. Um, This is, I think, Nolan's most emotional. Uh, Yes, including Interstellar. I think it's his most emotional uh, film. It's got probably Christian Bale's best performance, in my opinion, as Alfred Borden, the one of the magicians here, the more the more devious one of the two. Um, Hugh Jackman also very solid. It also has a great David Bowie performance. R.I.P. Um, Andy Serkis shows up. There's you know Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson. Um, Piper Perabo is really good in this um, kind of short-lived performance. In that, and Michael Caine, of course, contractually obligated to be in every Christopher Nolan movie uh <laughs> except dunkirk but uh mm-hmm. but yeah no i i love this i think that it also ends on one of his most clever kind of final uh you know like punchlines he almost always has a punchline kind of at the end of his movies uh, or at least his non-franchise installments he always tends to try to have something that is and i don't mean punch like punchline to a joke i mean just like a payoff to some sort of you know you think about the um the top uh wobbling and inception this one ends on a great shot of that totally totally reinvents everything that we think about the movie um especially when it gets into more like science fiction territory uh in a very subtle way i love it i I think that it's just genius it's um uh it's yeah it's fabulous and i think it's some of the best work that nolan and wally fister did together his cinematographer um I love this thing. And yeah, I, 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 if, if you haven't seen this one yet, if it's a, if it's a Nolan blind spot, especially before Tenet comes out, check this one out, um, get the Blu-ray, get the 4k. I think the 4k is out of print, but I'm telling you, watch this under the, the best circumstances that you can. Cause it is stunning looking. And it's also just a great bit of ingenious, like um, just ingenious plotting really. And and it is my favorite Nolan. So, is this one going to show up? I don't uh, on your list.
1: Oh yeah, it's awesome. going to be higher awesome. on my awesome. list.
0: All right, like I said, folks. I mean, this. I'm. Whenever I sat down to do the list, I was surprised that this wasn't in the top five, because uh, it's it's good enough. <laughs> it's good enough. All right, uh, that brings us around to your number seven.
1: So my number seven is. He's a franchise staple. Um, he's a clever and a great special agent, he, and he had kind of um, lost his footing when um, a 2002 film named Die of the Day* came out, and there was an invisible car. <laughs> so um, I was I was kind of afraid for this franchise, and I didn't know if it would recover. But bring in Daniel Craig, get a capable director, write up a very tight but entertaining screenplay. And then have a bombastic ending that announces the return of James Bond. Uh, Casino Royale—that's my number seven. Um, I remember um, being kind of afraid, you know, even though I had seen Daniel Craig in films like Road to Perdition and Layer Cake, which is a great, great film. I had seen him in those films, but I wasn't really sure if he was Bond to me. You know, I knew that he had a leading man look, but I wasn't sure if he could really fit what Bond was, because up to that up to that point, my favorite Bond was Sean Connery, you know, um, but as soon as I saw the film, he, I knew that he was a great Bond, and, you know, the action is amazing, I think, I think I can safely say that this is, like, probably the best action we've seen in a James Bond film, you know, especially the opening chase sequence, you know, the um, the plane, um, the car chase on the, the runway, like, trying to chase down the plane, you know, There's so, there are so many great action sequences. Um, Craig, you know, he delivers his line with a richness. You know, he's just so suave, so cool. He just fits the look so well. And, you know, Vasper, you know, the Bond girl, she's great, you know, and we also have a very, very great villain played by Mids, you know. Oh, yeah, um, Mads Mickelson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, a great villain with that. You know, so, you know, Casino Royale is one of my favorite Bond films, and You know, seeing it, I didn't get to see a chance to see it in theaters when it first came out, but I did end up renting it on DVD. It was a Saturday afternoon. I remember watching it, and I did not leave the seat, not once. It was just an amazing film. One of my favorite Bond films of all time as well. This one's
0: fantastic. It's not on my list. Uh, It would be an honorable mention, though. And, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It really did come back from Die Another Day in a big way because that one's not not good. Um, And... (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like Craig as much as the other brutal Bond. And you're, I think you're going to get to that pretty soon. I know you're going through those movies. Um, the one, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen the Timothy Dalton ones, but uh, those are, those are the most brutal. Uh, and this, yeah, mm. it, it's, it's brutal. Um, and in fact, I, I have, still have no idea how in the, in the, in the, uh, in the beginning of the period of PG thirteen that The Living Daylights got a PG rating still. It's insane, but anyway, that the, that's my favorite of the brutal Bond. But I do love, I do love this. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's uh, it's fantastic. It just you know it fell on my list, but it's it's uh, yeah. I, this was my this was my first Bond in theaters and my second Bond overall. I had seen GoldenEye because I think I watched it way early on when I was a kid because I played the N64 game, um, and so I, I think I watched it as like, hey, I want to watch this because I play the game a lot. Um, and I'd seen that one already, but I really didn't know who Bond was seeing, seeing Casino mm-hmm. Royale. I was kind of aware by then, you know, like, oh, wow, this is, you know, the 19th movie or 20th movie or whatever it was. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic one. So all right, well, I keep, like, following up your choices with something completely different from, <laughs> from your choices. And once again, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking a sharp right turn uh, toward comedy. Once again, this is the funniest movie for me of 2006. Uh, and probably people are going to hear the choice and then turn the episode off. I hope not, but that's probably what's going to happen. No, uh, <laughs> my, number, my number seven is Clerks 2. Uh, from Kevin Smith. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still getting into Kevin Smith. There are a few you know, uh, blind spots that I have. But this I've called to people. I, I caught up with it last year, early last year. Uh, my co-host, actually, Chase, showed me this movie for the first time uh, last year when I was staying over at his place for the um, – I think it was for a film festival. It was either that or I went there and, with the intention of watching some uh, award screeners. Something like that. I know that it was his, it was at his place, and I finally saw it. And this thing just is hilarious from one second to the next. I, the plot doesn't matter. I don't even remember what it is. I think it's like the opening of a restaurant or something. Uh, I, I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, it is. That's right, because um, uh, Dante and Randall, played by Brian O'Halloran and, uh, and Jeff Anderson, uh, have some troubles in their video store, or in their stores. Um, they they work right next to each other, and they decide to look into the fast food empire, and that brings in like Rosario Dawson's character and and all of that. I, I just and of course you know Jay and Silent Bob uh, come back into it. Jason muse and Kevin Smith. I just it's it's hilarious. It is completely irreverent. Like again, you know, once again, like with Borat, it is not for the faint of heart when it comes to comedy. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to like casually watch this if you're just a comedy fan. You gotta. I would say that you gotta watch. Well, you gotta watch Clerks first of all, and you gotta just get used to Kevin Smith a little bit. I think, because it's either gonna, you know, land with you or it's not, and it's just for me, it's hilarious. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> Is this on your list or?
1: um i've never been a okay. clerks okay. guy so no sadly well that's
0: that's okay you're fired no i'm just kidding okay so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally fine like i i mean comedy it's the most subjective genre it either lands with you or it doesn't and you know that's why I, ne- I never get mad at other people for not liking co- the comedies that i like um except like young frankenstein if you don't like young frankenstein just no but um but yeah, this, it's, yeah, I, I love it. So that's my number seven. Uh, that's probably, yeah, I think that's the end of any light movies. Uh, they're all pretty heavy from here on out for me. Uh, but yeah, so we are around to your number six.
1: So my number six is a recent watch for me. Um, Recent as, and I just watched it um, (laughs) yesterday, but it was so great that I had to put it on the list. Um, Mm. It's The Host by Bong Joon-ho. You know, Bong Joon-ho, you know, his name is everywhere now because Parasite was the Best Picture winner from this year. And Hulu just did the... um, a very nice treat for all film fans. They put some, not all of his films, but some of his films are on Hulu now. You know, there's Parasite, there's The Host, there's his first film. And I think, mm, Oh, and also Netflix has another one, films um Okoje, which is also one of my favorite films of his. But yes, the host is pretty much a monster film, but not a monster film in the sense of Godzilla, where you're kind of awed by the destruction and the special effects, and you know it's very cool to look at. It's a monster film that has some serious, dramatic, and political undertones. Um, for one, it kind of harkens back to environment. Li- um, okay, so environmentalism. I'm trying to say <laughs> yes. it right. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah. Environmentalism. Yes. Um, you know, protecting the environment. Um, it also talks about, you know, viruses, you know, the, you know, the title is called the host. And in this film, in the beginning scene, there is, and this is based actually on a real incident in 2000. There was a U it was on a U S base and stationed in South Korea. And there's these two guys, they're working in this lab and stuff. And they have all this formaldehyde, um, in their laboratory and it's all old and dusty and they want to get rid of it. So the American guy tells the Korean guy, hey, um, why don't you just pour it down the sink? But the guy's like, oh no, it's going to lead to the Han River, you know, that's in this town. And the guy's like, don't worry about it. Just do it. It's not going to harm anything. So he pours formaldehyde down to the sink and there's a scene showing there's over 60 bottles of it. Then years later, it turns out that this formaldehyde aided in growing an amphibian monster. Like, he's going around, he's like eating people based he eating people and taking them to the sewer and i guess he's leaving them for a certain kind of lunch or dinner and so this family they end up losing one of their members it's this father he he has a daughter and the monster ends up taking the daughter away And so him his brother his sister and his um, dad himself are all on the lookout and on the hunt to try to get their daughter back and save her you know it's A very dramatic film. The special effects have not aged well at all. I mean, they look very, very bad. But this film, I I didn't really care about that because the story is just very strong. I mean, you're invested into this family. You know, you're hoping that they find this daughter alive, Mm. you know, because throughout the film, you see her just stuck in this sewer, you know, and she's trying she has a chance to escape the monster, but she can't do it because this monster is just very fast, very smart, very strong. And you know it's it's just a well it's just a well made film. I love the direction. I love the cinematography. The music is great. The music is awesome. I love the score in the film. And you know it really had a, a big impact on
0: me. You know, so the host is my number. This six. is a blind spot of mine. I need to I need to watch everything of Bong Joon Ho's from before. Okja? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Snowpiercer. Before Snowpiercer. I've seen that one
1: yeah, oh, yes, yeah. I, I so, yeah. I love yeah, that yeah, film that was, too.
0: That was, a, that was a good one, uh, and I I was a huge fan of Okja, and of course loved Parasite. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's illegal not to like Parasite. So I uh, <laughs> but I, I have not seen this. I, I really do need to see it. I need to see Memories of Murder from him, which uh, which I've heard is his his mm-hmm. um, Zodiac is is what it's been um, compared to, but. Yeah, I, I, it's one that I need to see. I, I'm sure that it would be on this list, honestly, if I had seen it, because it sounds like it's right down my alley. <laughs> I've been, I've heard it like um, compared to like um, uh, Little Miss Sunshine meets Jaws or something, which is pretty, pretty, mm-hmm. uh, pretty fun little description. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, it's just a, it's a blind spot. It's a terrible blind spot of mine. Well, mine, my number six. Uh, before we take a break. Uh, is one that you also caught up with this past week. I'm hoping, I'm I'm assuming that this is higher because I know that you, you, you reacted to it pretty strongly. Uh, my number six is Pan's Labyrinth from director Guillermo del del Toro. Yeah. Uh, this is another one. Like I said, I keep telling you people, but, uh, I'm just shocked that it's, it's not in my top five because I love this movie. I think it was my number one at some point along the, along the way, um, It kind of went back and forth between this and my actual number one until I saw some other movies. But, yeah, I mean, this is the story uh, that takes place in the Spanish state in 1944 uh, when this bookish young girl uh, who's the stepdaughter of a sadistic army officer uh, no longer wants to suffer his, you know, sadism. So she decides to escape into this fantasy world. And it definitely has interesting ties to a movie that was on my top ten of 2007, *Bridge to Derabithia, But it's way more violent, way more dark, and it doesn't. And it kind of ends <laughs> similarly. Uh, just you know, it's 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 a downer. It's a downer. I don't I don't want to I don't want to ruin anything. But basically, this is Del Toro's probably most visually, uh, like, uh, well, both most visually precise movie, and also his most experimental visual um kind of uh experiment <laughs> i guess i don't know i, I, I that uh, <laughs> my, my sentence structure failed me there but um but i but i love it and i think that this is, it's it, i mean it's got this real edge to it this i mean part of the r rating is uh graphic violence so it's got an edge to it it's very violent it's very dark it's not a happy ending movie uh, but it is really deep and it's and it says a lot about what children do to attempt to escape reality um, and I just I love it um, this is where this is where it gets to like five star territory for me uh, all six of my top six are I mean I could probably like throw them up in the air and then they would come down in a normal in another order and I'd be fine with it Um, that's, that's how much I like this movie. Um, it is, it is really something. So, I mean, now we know, of course, it's going to be later. It's going to be later on your list. So we know that you don't disagree with me, um, correct. (laughs) Correct. I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for now. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to give you our picks for, uh, five through one, five through one of 2006 stay tuned folks this is not the end of the podcast uh we will be right back all right folks you have just heard our picks for the 10 through 6 choices of the best films of 2006 and now we are going to move on to our picks five through one so we are up to colossus number five what do you have over there sir Well, number five has already
1: been a film that was mentioned by you, Um, Mm. and it's a a comedy we both like, and it's Borat. Um, Nice, nice. (laughs) Okay. um, Borat was just, it was one of those comedies that I had not seen before, like, you know, a comedy where a guy is playing a fictional character, but he's doing it in the real world, you know, and, (laughs) you know, and, and... not everything is, like, televised or, like, filmed or, like, planned, you know? It's like he's, like, out there acting in the real world, and we're just seeing a reaction to his fictional character. And it's a very fascinating film. Um, For one, it shows the quirky, weird, wholesome, and sometimes bad sides of America in one, which is not what many comedies can do, but Borat succeeds on that end. And also, I just really love Sasha Baron, um, Baron Cohen. I mean, he's... A great actor. He knows comedy. I mean, just some of the stuff that he comes up with, like some of the little sticks and like little like mishaps he gets to, are just. I mean, I was laughing throughout the whole film, especially the first time. And it's one of those comedies that has aged well as well. Like I could, Mm. I could watch, I could put Borat on right now, and I would still laugh at it throughout the whole runtime. It's a very, very great comedy. Probably one of my top ten comedies of all time, if I could say, and. I will add to a point to your Bruno. I felt that Bruno was, I don't know, Bruno was just, it just didn't click for me, you know, but right. I did see what he was going with, and at, on first watch, I did kind of like it, in a sense, but on second and third, it just felt flat for me, and, you know, but I would like to see him continue to do films like this, like, I don't know if the novelty has worn off, you know, given his day to age of social media and how easy, you know, things like this can be seen now, but I think for now, yeah,
0: I think he should go back to this and also – Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Okay, well, I was just going to say like there's this – you know, before all of everything went kooky this year, there was a movie that was supposed to come out at the end of the month called Bad Trip Hmm. where – man, I can't remember. I think it was Lil Rel Howery and Tiffany Haddish, um, somebody else. Anyway, I can't remember who right now, but where they were going to be like – Um, doing a bunch of pranks and stuff uh, on each other and on real people without anybody knowing and every, and, and like, they were the, they were fictional characters, but also everybody else was real and they were just, you know, stage. And, And it's just like this, this really interesting, you know, putting, putting fictional characters in a, in an actual real world setting is just fascinating to me. And, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, Bruno didn't make my top ten in 2009. I don't think it's as good as Borat, for, for sure. I think that mm-hmm. certainly he was, I, I feel like maybe he was kind of rebounding a little bit. You know, he'd, he'd had this really big success, and he was he was literally just building on that with another movie. And, yeah, I mean, a little bit weaker, a little misses some of the marks. Uh, I, I, I definitely laughed a lot more than you did, apparently. I, but yeah, Borat, Borat though is where it's at for sure. When when it comes, to his best comedy that he's been in, um, and uh, by far, and the best comedy that he's done with Larry Charles, his director. Um, you know, just yeah, it's it is fantastic. Obviously, I agree. Made my list as well. So my number five, once again, <laughs> I'm making a right turn from from Colossus choices. Uh, my number five comes from a director who has. Since made it very big, but he's also become quite divisive in certain parts of the internet. But I think it's one of the best debut films of the two thousands, certainly, um, hmm. maybe even beyond that. And that is Ryan Johnson with Brick. Uh, this is his movie starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt about a teenage loner who kind of pushes his way into this underworld of, uh, of like his underworld crime ring within his high school to investigate this, the disappearance of his ex-girlfriend. Who is played, I think, by Emily DeRaven. Um and it also stars Lucas Haas, Matt O'Leary, Nora Zahetner, kind of like these up-and-comers who ended up not really doing a whole lot of work after this, but should have. Uh, obviously, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This was one of the films that made him break out, um, and uh, you know, after Thirty Rock or not Thirty Rock, uh, Third Rock from the Sun. I just I love the way Johnson takes the takes noir and just puts it in a high school. It isn't trying to do anything super self-aware, although it ends up being quite self-aware in terms of how it uses the dialogue um, and, and implants it into kind of this high school setting and context. I think that, you know, it's, it's you're able to take it seriously as noir and I think that that is where the specialness of this movie comes in. I, I just, I love the, I love the mix of setting and like, you know, subjective um, kind of uh, treatment uh, of this particular genre. It is really clever, but it also is a great bit of plotting. It it follows through on that promise uh, in terms of how well it's plotted and um, how well everything comes together. Just, just love it so much. So, yeah, that's my number five. Uh, are you a fan of this one? Sadly, um, this is still a blind spot for ah, me. Um, okay. I, I'm a big fan of
1: Knives Out. That's one of my favorite mm. films from 2019. And contrary to popular demand for us to hate this film, I did really like The Last <laughs> Jedi. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to go back and definitely give this a watch. And also Looper, another one of his mm. yeah. that are, is celebrated.
0: He's... Knives Out, I liked. I liked it. Uh, I need to see it again. Uh, it was my least favorite of his when I saw it. Um, but that just goes to show how good of a director he is. Uh, this is probably still my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. It just it just comes comes off so strong, you know. Um, but yeah, Looper's great. Also, see The Brothers Bloom, which is a movie from two thousand nine. Kind of his <laughs> kind of his Wes Anderson kind of thing. It's it's like if Wes Anderson directed a uh, uh, a crime comedy um, oh <laughs> and it's it just it's really clever yeah he, he makes he makes good movies um, including his 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 star Wars movie um, all right so yeah that that brings us around to your number four and definitely see this when you can by the way see brick when you can it's definitely worth checking out um, so yeah we're up to your number four well my
1: number four is another film you've already mentioned Um, <laughs> that's pans on um, labyrinth um, by gdt grimo del toro um i had just watched this recently as well i think within the last few weeks and you know i heard so many so much things about it. i've seen it on a lot of top 10 lists for you know even for, not just for 2006 but before the 2000s mm, you yeah. know and um i'm a big fan of the shape of water and i really really love hellboy so i was like i'm gonna go ahead and give this a shot and surprisingly it was more reality um than fantasy for me i think that was the one of the things that jumped out to me which mm. is not a bad thing because i mean it's still a great phenomenal film but i remember seeing the trailers and i was thinking okay is this more of a fantasy film which is i don't mind because del toro knows how to build a landscape of fantasy i mean his fantasy films are just they're it's just amazing what he knows to do with the imagination you know he's a very creative director so I came in expecting to see a lot of fantasy, but I see a lot more reality, you know, and we're following the experiences of this girl during war-torn um, 1944 Spain, and, you know, she's under the um, the guide um, only because her mother is having his kid, under the guide, this brutal military general, and he's just, like, one of the most evil characters I've seen in the film ever. I mean, he is just so brutal, tenacious. He treats her like crap, and, you know, I, just, I was cheering for her the whole film to, like, Get away and be able to um be able to live in her books because her books acted as her outlet and everything and I really love that aspect because I think it shows an appreciation for kids you know who like to you know play around and just be in their imagination all day there's nothing wrong with that you know there's nothing wrong with um escaping reality sometimes through fantasy and I think that's what I was able to take from that film but I loved it um, the ending was a heartbreaker but it was a powerful ending. Um, I love the cinematography. The score is excellent and
0: it's a great film. It's my number four. Well, clearly I agree. Uh, it's, <laughs> it is, it is fantastic. Uh, again, making me feel bad that it's not higher, but yeah, I have, I have, I have quite the top six. Um, so my number four, man, I don't know. I, I actually don't know your thoughts or if you've seen this one. Um, it's, it's not very popular, but I am a big fan of this director, um, So I had one of his movies very high on my 2009 list, and his other three movies this particular decade are going to show up on their their top tens uh, pretty high. And this is, I think, (laughs) like one of the lowest spaces I have for, for him. But at number four... I have Miami Vice from director mm. Michael Mann. <laughs> I am, I am a man, Miami Vice fan. I, it's a very particular type of person uh, likes this movie who just answers to uh, man's, you know, kind of his, his uh, style, which is incredibly style heavy. He's not, he's not super interested in plot in this movie. Uh, and, It kind of goes all over the place. I mean, the gist of it is basically just, you know, it follows Crockett and Tubbs, who were characters in a 1980s uh, TV action drama in which Michael Mann had a big part uh, in creating and Mm -hmm. and directing several episodes. And he updated it in every way possible. Um, But you have, you know, Ricardo Tubbs, played by Jamie Foxx, and Sonny Crockett, played by Colin Farrell. Um, And they get involved in, uh, you know, various... Plots and involving drug traffickers and, um, and the Chinese Cuban wife uh, of a drug trafficker, played by Lee Gong, uh, who is great in this movie. Um, but again, the plot really doesn't matter. It's all about these, the like man's use of space and his, his um, command of action sequences. There's shoot us in here that are all timers and they're only matched by his other shootouts and like movies like collateral and the movie that i hinted at before which is public enemies which was high on my 2009 list uh, basically i love this guy's movies that other people don't <laughs> particularly like <laughs> and this is this is probably the most like dubious example of this to most because for a lot of people it's just a collection of like you know very very dull scenes you know, like strung together with some action, and for me, fine, uh, fine. That's Mike. <laughs> that's Michael Mann for you. Uh, he, he again, he's not really, he's not really concerned with plot. He's concerned with absolutely just, you know, just surprising you and delighting you with with his construction of the scenes in the movie and his camera angles and all of it. And I'm probably making a bunch of excuses right now, but I. I still love it, and I, I I get more out of it every time I watch it. Uh, this is I would say so. I do put a slight difference between favorite and best in terms of what is my favorite movie and what is the best movie. This mm-hmm. is my number four. It's probably my favorite this or my number three, uh, which I'll get to in a second. Um, probably my favorite viewing experiences whenever I go back to them. Uh, and it might honestly be my number three, which is probably why I have it at number three. But it's really between the two, and I think that it's just it is it sucks me in. I'm I'm I just I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, do you like this movie? Are you a fan of this one? Um, this is a bl- this is a blind this is another spot blind for me. spot. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is this tends to be a blind spot for people with man. Uh, this and another one that I will obviously talk about in a few weeks, Ali. Uh, which is his Muhammad Ali uh, biopic, which I love and is kind of a similar situation of people just finding it to be fairly typical and also just Mm -hmm. way too stylized. For me, just works like a charm. And this is kind of the other one where people probably have seen Collateral. People have probably seen Public Enemies, but they probably haven't seen Miami Vice. And so, yeah, I I guess I'm not surprised by that. It's just, it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, it opens with... Uh, <laughs> with uh, the Jay-Z, uh, Linkin Park, um, uh, I think it's...
1: Yeah, it's the uh, it's, Numb it's, it's, flash it's the Encore. Numb, yeah, yes. Numb
0: Encore. Yeah, I was wondering if it was either that one, because they did a couple together. I couldn't remember if it was that one or the other one, but I think it's that one, and it's, yeah, it's 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 just fabulous. I mean, it starts out that way, and you know that it's going to be great. Or at least mm-hmm. I uh, so <laughs> i i love it i i kind of don't anticipate that a lot of people are on my side on that one but i think it's in like the 40s or something on ron tomatoes but um but i love it and yeah so that's my that's my number four for what for whatever it for whatever it counts uh so yeah what's your number three
1: so we're on a little streak right now of um me <laughs> M- uh movies you. that
0: i mentioned that i mentioned already
1: Yes, you mentioned already, and I just come in and I have him at a higher spot, so <laughs> I, too, have a soft spot for Mr. Nolan, so The Prestige is nice. um, my number three. Um, um, the one thing I can say about this film is just, it's powerful just in the way it manipulates the audience. Mm. Um, like, the way that the story, it, feel, it feels like, once it gets to the end, it's like, wow, like how did I not see that coming? But then when you go through and watch it again, you're like, wow, so the film was kind of just leading me on. It was showing me right there, but I could not see it, you know? And it's not the case of just, like, a screenwriter putting in smoke and mirrors because he doesn't know how to build up a story. No, it's not like that. It's just Nolan has a great handle on, you know, tricking his audience, but also keeping the audience in the know, you know, like... You know, there's perfect passages of some exposition here and there, but it's needed. It's not just worthless exposition. It's exposition that's needed to really get the powerful grasp of the ending, which is a twist ending. You know, um, Mm. as far as Christian Bale, he's amazing in this. I wouldn't go far to say that this is his best performance, but that's just a personal opinion. But it's one of my top ones. One of my top ones, definitely. Um, Hugh Jackman is great as well. I mean, the man is just super talented. I mean, he can do superhero stuff. He can do dramatic stuff. He's a, just a really, he's an actor that doesn't get a lot of credit. You know, Hugh Jackman. And um, he
0: can uh, and he can do romantic comedies. Uh, guys, see Caton Leopold, which is actually also <laughs> from director James Mangold, who he has been working with on uh, Wolverine movies and stuff recently. Uh, just, yeah, Cate Leopold's a lot of fun. He's great in that context too. Yeah, I love him. Well, I did not know that Mangold did that film. Yes, that's crazy. Yeah, He's, he is he is prolific, uh, <laughs> to say the least.
1: But yeah, then also um, the David Bowie, you know, him playing Tesla is just amazing. I love mm. that scene so much. All that's probably the one scene I have to pick. That's my favorite scene. And then of course the twist ending is just spectacular. But yeah, the Prestige. Um, it's a film that a lot of people say. Is higher ranked in Nolan films, but not a lot of people talk about it. I think it still is one of his most underrated, but
0: it's definitely a top film in his catalog for me. Nice, nice. Well, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, my number three, you know, I I probably lied. Miami vice is certainly a favorite of 2006, but my number three is the one that I keep going back to the most uh, just because it works like clockwork. It's from one of the great modern directors, if not the great modern director, I hinted at it at the beginning of the show. My number three is The Departed. And I think that of the nominees that year for Best Picture, the Academy got it right. It's my highest ranked of those. And um, this is the story of an undercover cop uh, placed in the – by Leonardo DiCaprio, who's placed in the the employ of a mob boss, Frank Costello, played by Jack Nicholson. And a, uh, a mole in the department for which DiCaprio works, played by a great Matt Damon in the film's best performance. Yes, folks, you heard it here. That's what I just said. Um, but it's not just them. There's a great cast here, including Mark Wahlberg, who plays the absolutely just delightfully vulgar Dignam. Uh, Martin Sheen as the police captain. Uh, Ray Winstone as one of Nicholson's lackeys. <sighs> Uh, Anthony Anderson, Alec Baldwin, Veer Farmiga, Kevin Corrigan, James Batchdale, David O'Hara, a bunch of like, oh that guy actors um, come come up in this one and um, yeah, I just, it, this is, in terms of the, like, the effect of the editing from Thomas Schoonmaker and the direction by Scorsese, like that, that pairing, they've been paired together a lot obviously throughout scorsese's career throughout their careers i think and i'm about to say something pretty pretty ballsy here but i i'm I'm committed to it i think that this is their best work together on an editing standpoint uh Mm. the the tension that the editing builds in this movie is literally there are multiple times when i don't breathe in this and it's all because of the pacing of the cuts like I think about the 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 scene where uh there's a phone call between DiCaprio and Damon in which neither of them actually talk to each other, but the camera keeps cutting between them, and also I think of the 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 thing where Sheen is trying to text uh DiCaprio in the middle of that big meeting, and also Damon's on the other side of it, trying to like you know, like work out who is it that he's communicating with just the whole, with the, uh, uh, the Chinese is basically like the plot doesn't matter at all, at all. It literally comes up like, like an hour and a half in the movie. We finally learn what this movie's about, but basically they're trying to stop the, the sale of a computer, uh, uh, like a couple of computer chips from the Chinese, these Chinese nationalists and this, um, this mob group. And there's a big scene Involving the Chinese nationalists, who Jack, Nicholson, Jack Nicholson's character keeps insulting in horribly racist ways, and in the midst of that, there's also this dynamic of of the police trying to figure out who the who you know whose phone is uh, um, active, and everything is just it's it's hard to like describe it, but it's just insanely tense, and I love every second of it. It is like the most enjoyable watch of 2006. It's really funny too. Like this is probably one of Scorsese's funniest, you know, shorter like the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and once upon a time would have had a completely different looking cast. Uh, I don't even know if you know about this, but at one point there was a completely different cast. So uh, DiCaprio was supposed to originally play Damon's role. Uh, Eminem Was supposed to play DiCaprio, but wouldn't go. Yeah, wouldn't do it because he only he only films movies in Detroit and will not film anywhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. Robin Williams was going to be Jack Nicholson, (laughs) and that was supposed to be his first pairing with uh, with Scorsese, but couldn't do it because he was doing RV at the time. And then um, uh, Brad Pitt was going to be Mark Wahlberg. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's basically like the the central cast was all going to be completely different, and it's just funny. Um, it's just funny to think about that. Oh, and I think maybe Liam Neeson was supposed to be um, Alec Baldwin, which I think they went with a better choice because Baldwin's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't think that I could see Neeson doing what Baldwin does in this movie. But uh, anyway, it's it's fantastic. It's a fabulous piece of entertainment. It's um, you know, it's the movie that he won. He finally won best director for. Uh, and, and best picture. I don't think that any of his movies have won best picture either. So yeah, it's just, it's fabulous. It's a, it's a fantastic entertainment. I might watch it after this, uh, (laughs) just because it is, it is is that kind of movie. You can just pop it in and just, and just watch it. It's 150 minutes. It feels like 85. It moves so Mm -hmm. quickly. I mean, it covers a lot of ground. Obviously it's a big epic story. But it moves so quickly, it's just, it's crazy. And great series of twists and backstabbings and stuff in the, in the final, like, 15 minutes of this. Great, great, great final scene. And, and this has gotten, like, a bunch of people making fun of it. But it uses a rat in a shot at the end. <laughs> that is the most perfect punchline to a joke ever. People got onto it because it's, like, obvious. And it's obvious, but of course, because that's the point. It's supposed to be obvious. It's supposed to be on the nose. I, I just, I love it. I love everything about this movie. You know, it's one of those things. I can't believe it's my number one. It's not my number one. Uh, I'm, I'm putting two movies over it that are like real downers in terms of uh, their subject matter and how they deal with them. And so I feel like in that, in those terms, it's like the, they're better. <laughs> but this is, this is definitely, like I, like I said, I probably lied. It's this, this, this is my favorite movie of 2006 uh, and my third best um so yeah that's my number 3 are you going to have this somewhere in your top 2 <laughs> it's coming up next uh, oh it's it's your num it's your number 2 yes nice all right nice 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 it might be that we have the same number 1 i'm i'm, I'm wondering uh but yeah all right <laughs> go ahead do you have anything else to say about it
1: oh yes i mean the departed um i came across this by a luck by a luck Um, one day um see my stepdad and mom used to order movies through the mail. Like they, they had like a subscription service to some kind of moving publishing company and they would get, send them just like random films every month. And this is one of the films that I think my stepdad and mom expected to be a different kind of film, but it wasn't, but I knew it was laying down on the floor in the living room of their collection. So I picked it up, went into my room, kind of closed the door behind me and I just sat and just watched it. And it, It automatically became one of my favorite films of all time. I mean, um, it was the first film I have ever seen of a Scorsese film. I mean, like you said before, this movie just moves at a fast pace. Even though it's a long film, it just never feels like a tedious experience. I mean, it's just moving... From scene to scene, scene to scene, just entertaining you. Like, whether it's from the twists, whether it's from the action, whether it's from the drama, whether it's from the dark comedy that comes in there, especially mm. from dingham's character, Mark Wahlberg, which I think is <laughs> Mark Wahlberg's best performance in his career, no, mm. no doubt. um And, you know, we have Leonardo. I mean, Leonardo, this role right here represents kind of a little bit of a detour for him. I mean, he's done dramatic roles, but never like a. um crime like kind of mafia noir style role and he's great in this nicholson is i don't know whether to say his performance is like good or is it just very eccentric and it really stands out but (laughs) that's that's the best way to put it really he's
0: he's he's playing so thoroughly to the room he doesn't even care if you like it like it just he he is just he's doing his thing And,
1: yeah, he is doing the same. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the whole time I was like, yeah, this is really Jack Nicholson right here playing this character. But I love it. I mean, I love it. You know, I mean, he's just (laughs) he just really just gives you just a different tonal switch that, you know, this film would just not be the same without. I mean, every scene with him is just a display of just like just something you didn't expect to see coming and Mm. you know the film is just filled with all kinds of moments like that I mean it's very well directed I love the homages to like 1930 films like Scarface you Mm. know um the story is really good as well like it always keeps showing your toes because you're always trying to figure out who the rat is but (laughs) you already know who the rat is but
0: you're watching everybody else figure it out yeah yeah Yeah, you're watching everybody
1: else figure it out I think those are the best kind of moments you know of course, it's always great to figure out that someone is really the villain, the culprit behind everything, but it's great to figure out who it is already, and then you just watching the cast members, the character's trying to figure it out, and that makes for a very entertaining experience. It's,
0: it's, it's dramatic irony in the best sense, and I think that, you know, you, you mentioned Nicholson, I mean, he's playing the Pesci role in this, and mm-hmm. like, this, is, this is the kind of performance that Pesci would have given, but I honestly think that Nicholson goes even further up the dial. Like he he just really lays waste to everything else here. Now the reason the reason I said Matt Damon's performance is the best, I, I feel like it's easy to under it's easy to underrate what he's doing because at the same time what he's got to be doing is he's got to play this suave debonair guy, but he's mm-hmm. got to play kind of a giant douche uh, who's ex- who's very misogynistic. I mean, we see that over the course of his relationship. With this therapist, um, played by Vera Farmiga, comes in um, to the plot at some point, and so he's kind of a creep. He's a really oily guy, but he's got this outward demeanor because we're watching Jason Bourne in this role, mm-hmm. and and uh, what's his face from the Ocean's movies? I forgot his name, uh, but <laughs> because because we're watching, you know, Goodwill Hunting, we're we're not we're not used to this whole like. Uh, this whole act that he puts on, which is incredibly nuanced and incredibly detailed. I think, you know, a lot of people feel like Leonardo DiCaprio was nominated for the wrong movie in 2006. Mm. He was nominated for Blood for Blood Diamond, which was, oh. yeah, not a, not a good movie. Uh, and he, instead of this one, I feel like Damon should have been nominated for this one um, because I feel like what he's doing here is incredibly difficult because he's playing a character that you have to you have to realize maybe to some likable, but is also actually kind of a creep, mm-hmm. a giant creep who is incredibly off-putting all in the same breath. And also he's got to juggle all of the plot stuff too. And so he's got to be, you know, like his, his, the cogs behind his eyes have to be working at, you know, like 100% all the time. And he's also incredibly like, um, uh you know, like super, super, super uh, confident in himself to a fault. <laughs> I, I just, I love what he's doing. I love all the modes that he's in. I, I can't keep my eyes off of him. Um You know, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic piece of entertainment. Great performances all around. So, all right. Well, my number two is going to be my hidden gem on this list. Uh, it's a movie that I'm pretty sure you probably haven't seen. In fact, a lot of listeners won't have seen it. Um, It is a French film. Uh, People, listeners to this podcast will probably remember that whenever Chase and I were doing our countdowns of the best films of the second decade, um, that in our 2014 list at number two, I think, or three, I had a movie called Two Days, One Night, which uh, had Marianne Cotillard in it. She was nominated for an Oscar. It's from these French directors' uh, siblings named Jean-Pierre Dardin and Luc Dardin. Uh, who back in 2006 made a movie that I own I bought it on a whim it's a real downer this is this is the most probably the most depressing on either of our lists besides 1993. Um it's called l'enfant which is the it's a, a French film so that uh, title translates to the child uh, and this one stars Jeremy Jeremy Renier no that is not me mispronouncing Jeremy Renner's name although they are very uh, similarly named and they have been in a movie together. There is a, there is a French actor named Jeremy Renier uh, who plays uh, Bruno and Deborah Francois who plays Sonia. They're a young couple living basically off, off of her benefits um, and also off of thefts that are committed by his gang that he leads. He's a, he's a gang leader. And they're a young couple who have just had a child. Uh, or, or, I'm sorry, they haven't had a child. Uh, okay, they're a young couple, they're, they're, they're basically, yeah, they have a child. And then everything kind of starts to fall apart for them. Uh, and they decide that they need a new source of money. So in a devastating, devastating decision, Bruno decides that he is going to sell their son to a black market newborn infant ring that is operating in their town and this absolutely devastates Sonia, who passes out literally passes out upon learning that this is what her husband has decided to do and so he is just absolutely racked with guilt and he decides that he's going to try to buy his son back but that doesn't go very well and it culminates in a series of horrible horrible tragedies one after another this is a movie that does not let up on those tragedies now uh, (laughs) i'm sure that i've sold it really well to people who want to watch happy things right now Uh, but (laughs) i mean luckily it's about 90 minutes it's it's not very long that you have to spend in this situation but the dardens i've found in just the few movies i've seen of theirs have found a way to kind of mix uh, a tension that isn't really thriller tension but it's just dramatic tension between characters and also absolute realism this isn't even naturalism this is realism of the finest of the of the finest degree and the performances here from Renier and Francois are great. Uh, they are, uh, she in particular gives one of the best performances, probably the best performance of 2006. And it is just devastating. So if you're, I mean, maybe watch something happy after it, but seek this one out. I'm not sure where it is. I think it might be rentable on Prime. I'm not sure if it's streaming on Prime. Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, it looks like it is. Rentable on Prime again. I don't know where else it is. If it's streaming somewhere, you know, it might be like Hoopla or Canopy or something. I'm not sure. That would probably uh, seem the best place for it. But it is really something else. Um, this is yeah. It's a it's a devastating devastating movie. So, Phan, uh great film. The Child, uh, great great film. Really has not left my head since I think I watched it like two years ago. Um, and my, my, uh, there are occasions where my brain just comes back to it because it's that potent and that depressing. So, you know, again, I'm trying to warn people, like if you haven't seen this and you watch it, watch something happy afterward, because you're not going to be in a great mood. Uh, don't watch it in a, in an already bad mood because it's just going to make it worse. Um, and it is not, I mean, French filmmakers know how to do this. Really well, where they take a situation where it seems like oh maybe maybe it could end happily, but no. Uh, just stopping that right now. It is not, it is not a happy movie, but it is very well worth seeking out. So, L'enfant, uh it's L apostrophe E N F A N T. If you want to look that up, and um, yeah, twenty. It's like a 2005 worldwide release, but it came out in early 2006 for the U.S. audiences. So, I'm. Counting it for this year, and uh, yeah, love L'Enfant. Definitely seek it out. Coles, have you seen this one? Uh, no, I have not <laughs> no. heard of it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. I mean, like I said, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, un- under the radar, um, very under the radar. But I know that Ebert was a huge fan of this. I think it might have made his top ten that year. Hmm. Um, That's great. Yeah, he was a big. F- yeah, he's a big fan of the Dardennes. He had another one of their movies. I need to see uh, called The Sun. Back in 2003, that was on his list that year, um, which is kind of similar. It's about a death and – the a, a per, well, not a, about a death. I, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, ruin this movie. But uh, it's about kind of a death. Uh, I need to see that one. But Two Days and One Night is really potent as well. Uh, great performance from Marion Cotillard. Should have won the Oscar that year, I think. And, um, yeah, uh, just – I love it. Made a, made a big impression on me. So that is my number two. Uh, all right. Well, we are here. We're at your number (laughs) one. What is your number one? I wonder if we have the same movie. Uh, but go ahead and tell us what your number one is.
1: Yeah. I have a feeling we do too. My number one is, I mean, the just impeccable children of men. Um, it's probably one of my top 20 films of all time um, directed by, I don't want to get his name wrong, how do you say? Um,
0: Alfonso oh,
1: Alfonso, uh, Alfonso Caron. Yeah. yeah, Alfonso Caron, yes um, I mean, just in the direction of it, I mean, the long takes, you know, I mean, it's becoming common practice now that people are starting to use films with long takes, I mean, we there was Birdman in 2014 and then there's 1917, which came out last year, but this is what the first film I saw that actually utilized that method and I was entranced by it. I mean, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. The um, cinematography is just amazing, you know, and it's really a story about hope and faith in the face of um, human extension, possible extinction of humanity. And, you know, we're in a world where the infertility rate is at a hundred percent. There's like no one having any children. And in the beginning of the film, they talk about that. There's a, person who was the youngest person in the world, he just died. So he was kind of the hope that humanity had that maybe we could have, you know, someone else be born into this world and he dies and Hope just feels all lost. But then we have Clive Owen who, as an actor, I'm hot and cold on. I mean, he can be good when he's good. Then other times he can just be playing bad. But in this film he's a he's great. And he plays a um he used to be an activist, a political activist who was standing on the other side of the line because we have a government that's being a little bit tyrannical, you know, kind of a dictatorship. You know, they're closing down their borders. They're keeping people away from, you know, doing anything too crazy because the whole society is just in unrest. And he plays a bureaucrat, but he, then he ends up helping this um, woman. And this is an African-American, you know, young woman, and she is pregnant. And she carries the um she carries the seeds of starting humanity again, and it's pretty much a film of just like trying to transport transport her to safe harbor to get her to have a child, which could bring hope to humanity. I mean, it's 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 a very moving experience. Um, this is one of the few films, like I say, that I emotionally connected with on a internal level. You know, it's very deep in its themes you know, and there's some great actors in there. You know, Michael Caine is in here. He kind of plays a guy who's just a, he's a druggie, but he's only a druggie because he's trying to get through what the world has become. He remembers a time where the world was normal place and he was having a job and he was seeing people out on the street, but now it's just turned to crap and, you know, he has drugs to deal with that. And then you have Julianne Moore, who's in for a short period of time, but she does well in her minor on bits. And I mean, it's just a remarkable film, and I think that a lot of people need to see it. If you haven't,
0: yeah. So just to deflate the uh, <laughs> the uh, tension here, yes, it's my number one as well. <laughs> uh, it's obviously the best movie of 2006, and you know this was this was ignored at the Oscars. I think it was nominated mm. for best. Uh, I think it was a couple things. I think it was best cinematography maybe uh i think so yeah Lubeski. so um and adapted screenplay should have won both of those things should have been nominated Mm -hmm. for a bunch of other stuff um (laughs) and film editing you know for instance so i yeah i mean the that one take sequence that you're talking about the with well it involves julianne moore's character we'll just Mm -hmm. say which is a uh, like a several 360 degree turns um yeah, it's invigorating. And the first time I saw this, I think it was about a year after it came out. I was definitely on DVD. I rented it from Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster, folks? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I rented it from Blockbuster. I uh, I just was so struck by how – I love sci-fi like this. I love sci-fi that builds worlds and makes you think. And this kind of falls into that area, although it's a little more grounded. I think it's a little less – visually stunning like uh, i mean visually beautiful like say dark city or uh, minority report or Mm -hmm. ai you know the movies like that that genuinely build big worlds with visual effects this is building a dystopia that looks like what our world could become if we entered this state of dystopia and uh yeah i mean it it really really connects right now (laughs) uh, in this (laughs) In this current, you know, like climate of of what's going to happen uh, to everybody, and Clive Owen, fantastic. Um, yeah, I I I love him in this. I love Julianne Moore in this. Michael Caine is a lot of fun. Has a lot of fun <laughs> in this movie. Uh, he's he's kind of the thing that that gives it levity. Uh, he comes in. It's not really comic relief so much, but he is. He is funny enough and loose enough. He's basically playing an old hippie in this movie, mm-hmm. and he has a pull my finger moment that is both devastating and hilarious. That is just yeah, it's it's hilarious, but also devastating. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah, I mean the whole scene where where he's he's carrying the baby through the the crowd of um, uh, of of everybody who just stops and watches as he does that. And it's all a big one take. It just, yeah, it's the movie that really instilled a sense of awe in me, uh, the most from this year. So while something like the departed is probably my favorite movie and I'm, and I'm, this is not one that I just like watch casually. (laughs) I, I, uh, I do love it so much. So yeah, we are, we are definitely in agreement. Uh, Cuaron's a modern master. Um, and everybody should see his movie, A Little Princess. He did a Little Princess back in the '90s. Um, great, great kids movie. He also directed a really good Harry Potter movie. He obviously made Gravity after seven years of of a break, and Roma is just mm-hmm. wonderful. So I love, I love the filmmaker. I love, I love the work that he does. I love how, um, uh, I, I just, I just love his style, and it's incredibly. It's incredibly personal while also being incredibly cinematic. Uh, his use of the camera is just second to very few these days. And I, I love it. I love it so much. So, yeah, that's my number one. All right. Well, uh, that's our list. Let's go ahead and quickly just recap them. Um, just, just recap them for people. So uh, just title by title, uh, what were your ten through one?
1: Um, my ten was The Breakup. Um, number nine was The Pursuit of Happiness. Number eight, United 93. Number seven, Casino Royale. Number six, The Host. Number five, Borat. Number four, Pan's Lib- um Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Labyrinth yes. <laughs> it's a ton twister. Um,
0: three, The Prestige. Number two, The Departed. And number one, Children of Men. All right, well, at number 10, I had Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. At number nine, I had Borat. At number eight, I had The Prestige, At number seven, Clerks 2. At number six, I had Pan's Labyrinth. At number five, Brick. At number four, I had Miami Vice. I'm alone on that one, but see it. Uh, (laughs) Number three, I had The Departed. Number two, L'Enfant. And number one, I had uh, Children of Men as well. We were united. I think that's uh, the second time now, second time in a row that my guest and I have been united on the best film of the year, so <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how often that's going to be, but uh, but yeah, I'm going to savor it. So, all right, folks, that has been it uh, for this episode. Of for your isolation, we hope that you guys are staying safe out there, staying inside, um, even if you don't have to, just stay inside. Um, and yeah, so, Celeste, tell us where people can find you online. Um, you can find me. Under
1: the alias Black Nerd Magic on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can find me on Facebook under my real name, Les Davis. And also check out feelingfilm.com. Um,
0: I'm a writer on there, and there's a
1: few reviews of mine.
0: Nice, nice. All right. Well, you guys know where to find me by now, but I'm on Twitter at Real Joel Copling. I am on Letterboxd if you search my name. Um, great little tool for daily movie watching progress. Uh, you can. You can find some of my older reviews on my website, joelonfilm.com, although it is on hiatus, so you have to look through. Uh, let's see. If you want to follow the, the podcast, we're on Anchor. We're hosted through anchor.fm. We are also on Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify. I don't know which ones I've listed twice already. Uh, CastBox. Uh, a bunch of different places. Um, wherever you find podcasts except for YouTube, we are probably on there. So, uh, yeah, look around a little bit and then, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's about it. So subscribe, do, do your thing. And next week, uh, next week you guys get two episodes because I kind of, I kind of flubbed the, the, uh, the schedule just a little bit. Um, but I decided not to change it on the guest that is coming next Friday, wh- who is Brian. He's going to be our guest talking about the best films of 2004 and yes, I, I guess I'm revealing this to him right now because he'll listen to this. But I accidentally put him on the wrong Friday. So I'm going to be giving you guys <laughs> two episodes. And on Monday night, I will be alone talking about the best films of 2005. Uh, so you'll get two. And then there will be a couple weeks break uh, just to let people know. Um, be- because of that flub, I decided to just keep everybody else the same. So um, anyway... But, yeah, I will be on next week by myself talking about the best films of 2005. Very excited for that. Really good list, I think, of course, because it's my list. And then Friday I will be uh, joined by Brian, who is a friend of the podcast, constant, constant guest. And uh, I'm excited to talk about the best films of 2004. So that's the, uh, that's the rundown. Guys, everybody, love you guys, you great listeners. Uh, again, stay safe out there. Stay inside.